Hi, this is Stephanie Hansen, and you listen to me every week as the host of the Makers of Minnesota podcast. But what you may not know is in my professional life, I help brands with social media strategy. I also help them with social media management. And currently, I have openings for two clients. Generally, when I'm your social media manager, I help you gather contents and assets of things that we can post on your Facebook, your Instagram, your Twitter accounts. We'll also do some LinkedIn posts if you have great business stories. But generally, I am the person that will help you write and schedule content for your social media feed so that all you're needing to do is talk with me a couple of times a month to get the calendar together or to talk about generally how you want your social media marketing to feel. And then I'm the person that executes the posts. I can also respond to messages that you get from people on your social media feeds so that you are doing the business of getting getting business for your business. If this is something that appeals to you, just let me know. You can find me at S Hansen, H-A-N-S-E-N, marketing at gmail.com. Now on to the podcast. everybody and welcome to the Makers of Minnesota. I'm Stephanie Hansen and I am your host for this episode and this is one of those very special episodes. (laughs) We put it in air quotes but it doesn't need to be where we actually go back and revisit uh, someone that we had talked with earlier on the podcast to get updated on their business. We are talking today with Molly Clark. She is the co-founder of Taking Stock Foods and she makes a fabulous bone broth And we talked with Molly on episode 51. So thanks, Mm -hmm. Molly, for coming back and spending time with us. I'm so excited. It is very exciting to get a second go round with people. For sure. Because episode 51 was like a year and a half ago, maybe even two. Yeah. A lot happens in that time with an entrepreneur's business. So much so. Yeah. And and when you're a food maker like myself, like we just went through the... um, uh, we started making our product shelf stable and we had to go through a contract packer uh, process, which you always hear takes like over two years. And we were like, yeah, not for us. And yes, I mean, absolutely. It takes a long time. Okay. So let's talk about that. Yeah. Tell me about the genesis of starting taking stock foods. Yep. Yep. So I think we're a lot like other small food makers in the Twin Cities and probably anywhere in the world maybe this country, where we started making it ourselves and selling it at farmer's markets to kind of get a proof of concept um, to test the market and see if people were interested in bone broth. We learned a ton from that. First of all, we created a formula that is totally unique to our company. Um, And it's, it's really keeping in mind that we wanted to make a delicious European quality food product that also had great nutritional benefits. When you say European style, what does that mean exactly? Uh, I think that that's something that I use because I really believe that European ingredients have a tendency to be um, maybe of just a, a, a higher quality a lot they of the do, time. They, they have do better standards. They a lot of preservatives. Yeah. Yep. They have a higher threshold, let's, yep. as it were, to get to market. Yep. And I, um, my background before I went into food was I was a Francophile. Um, I spent a lot of time in France as a teenager. And so I've eaten a lot of food in Europe. And it's just, I mean, it's a different thing. I hear a lot of people too, who are like, I am gluten intolerant or have issues with dairy. And then they go to Europe and they're eating these ingredients. And they're like, I didn't have 
the same yeah, reaction. The chemical, and yeah, like that, I mean, is very anecdotal, but it also tells me that there's like actual proof of people's experience. And a lot of people are, so there's celiac, which is a definable disease yep. caused by gluten intolerance, yep. gluten adversity. Then there is people that just don't feel very good on gluten. And most yep. of the people that are eating gluten-free would fall probably in that camp. I think so too. And there's a lot of variations in that, right? Like I was at a dinner last night and someone was served barley and they were like, well, is this gluten-free? And the person was like, oh yeah, it is. Well, actually, technically, mm-hmm. barley is not gluten-free. It's about 5% gluten. Yep. And so for a celiac person, that's not really going to work. But for someone who has an intolerance, it's probably less enough less that it's not going to make a difference for them. Yeah. So it's just, yeah, different different ways that people eat and people are changing how they eat so much so much how did like why was bone broth your thing bone broth really came out so my co-founder maddie and i started with a restaurant concept called the twin city stock exchange um and we developed that idea through women venture which is a really great local nonprofit. um which i recommend people look into if they're sure getting ready to launch their businesses it's not specific to food people. Um, And we were working through that process, figured out that we really didn't want to own a restaurant. Uh, We both have restaurant backgrounds. And we were like, what were we thinking? We're never going to see each other. We're going to be working 90 hours a week. Yeah. And also our idea was like, let's turn this into a um, fast, casual concept that we can replicate and have it be something that, you know, gets bigger that way. But we couldn't figure out when that was going to happen. And we were like, we might just be slugging through this indefinitely. So broth was really the thing that we were making, founding all of the soup recipes for that restaurant concept on. And bone broth had just started really becoming something that people outside of the kind of homeopath folks who've been using it for years and years, it became something that was commonly um, adopted as as the general populace has been caring more about how healthy they're eating, foods that they can eat that um, really promote their wellness. What are the benefits of bone broth? So uh, let's see. Well, bone broth is uh, a high protein, low calorie, so like nutrient dense food. It's got a lot of collagen in it that um, some people say help with leaky gut. Um, It's an anti-inflammatory food for people who are dealing with anything from arthritis to like skin conditions that they're seeing a lot of inflammation. Um, And it's also our product is our unsalted chicken bone broth has five ingredients and it's all organic. So it's a really, that's not specific to bone broth, but it's a food that's made with minimally processed ingredients and it's easy to fit into different diets like whole 30 or um things like that yeah and i use it for fasting exactly intermittent fasting yeah my fasting is kind of a little different than everyone else's i don't have like a set window necessarily but i really try to eat like one meal a day yep and sometimes i'm more calorie conscious about that meal than others yeah but Bone broth gets me through mm-hmm. and fills me up and gives me something warm and sort of comforting to tuck into on a day when I'm trying to just sort of clean out. For sure. For sure. And this time of year, too, I mean, we're speaking in February. There's flurries outside. It's a nice warm food and it's savory where I feel like a lot of 
warm beverages that you might be using in fasting would probably tend to the sweeter side, whether they be tea or even like water with lemon in it. It it has more of a, I don't know, I guess water with lemon isn't really sweet, but it bone broth feels more substantial, I think, because it's savory. Yeah. And Um, you still get calories from it, but you know, if you're doing a 500 calories a day, yeah, you know, you're getting a couple hundred calories from that, and then you're going to have a decent meal. And yeah, yeah, you changed your packaging when you originally when I first met you at episode 51, you guys were in these cardboard pints. Yep. And now you're in a pouch that right. has like a, a pour spout. And I love the packaging. I think it's great. really great. Why changing the packaging? Was that part of the co-packer move? It was part of the co-packer move. I think that it really came out of customer feedback. So we um, we used to be a frozen product when we were in that paper packaging. I hated that for you. Because <laughs> I would it was look really for it challenging. at the co-op and I yeah. was like, where is it? Like, you, there isn't like a frozen soup section necessarily or a frozen broth aisle. Yeah. And so a lot of people don't shop the frozen section. That's kind of changing a little bit. Um, and people equate frozen with fresh a lot of the time mm-hmm. now where they didn't used to isn't necessarily. That funny? It is. It's funny. Yeah. Things you turn never around all eat the time. like frozen food because in the 70s, frozen food was developed with Swanson's chicken pot yep. pies. Right. Yep. And our moms would give us to those those to us when they would go out and it would be like a special treat with the yep. babysitter. So it was frozen. like a sodium bomb. Yeah. And you're like, woohoo. And it tasted good, but it was like, oh. So yeah, frozen food kind of got a bad rap. And now that's really turning around. However, um, what we were hearing a lot, we found that taking stock bone broths really fell in the area of somebody who wanted a homemade product. So a lot of our consumers have made bone broth themselves and have decided that maybe the process of making it is too lengthy or they don't like the smell of chicken broth after 18 hours cooking in their house. Yeah, you know? it can be really odiferous. Yes, it's an exp- it's an olfactory experience. Um but they wanted something that was a really high quality. So they also really wanted that convenience. And the frozen was just one step away from that convenience factor that a lot of our customers were looking for. One of the nice things about it too is that um you can throw it in your purse now and bring it to work. Yes, it's, it's so, so funny much you easier. That yeah. Because you brought me some and that is like I'm like, "Oh yeah, I have this broth right here." Yep. And I, you know, I carry around mason jars full of it, but they can leak sometimes. Yep. So I'm like, oh, this is so handy. It's very handy. And it's meant for people who have a high quality expectation of the food that they're eating, but want that convenience factor. Um, it's not homemade and we're not saying that it is. It's not exactly the same thing in that way, but it does have that convenience that yeah. the frozen was really lacking. So that was part of the co packer process. We wanted a product that was going to be easier for people to use. It's still based on that same formula that Maddie and I developed over two years. And believe me, we developed that. I mean, we were cooking the broth ourselves. It was a 17 hour production day. Um, We were really married to it. And when we walked into our co-packer initially for our meeting, we were like, we know what we're doing here. And I think that they were a little surprised. They were like, wow, a lot of times people come in and they're like, we have an idea for a product, but we were pretty... We had an idea. We had an, a product already that we wanted to continue. I want to talk about the co-packing experience. Yeah. So you decide that it's time for you to not be making this yourself in a kitchen. Yep. That 17 hours at a time is not going to work for your lifestyle. Yep. So do you just Google co-packing and then you start to get a small list and I start wish. interviewing people? <laughs> you can't. I mean, there are so many different ways. It's kind of a... Cloak and dagger isn't the right way, but it's a pretty secretive world. 
Um, a lot of co-packers might be making their own product and then be adding another stream of revenue by also processing products that are similar to theirs yep. using their equipment. Uh-huh. So they don't necessarily air the fact that that's what they're doing. You can speak to companies that make similar products to you that there might not be a competitive issue with. But like if you're in the Midwest, maybe you t- talk to somebody elsewhere in the country and say, how do you go about this? Broth was a really, specifically chicken broth, was a really challenging co-packer fit to find because it's a pretty niche product. And a lot of the people on the competitive market are, they have their in-house facilities and they're not interested in making it for somebody else. Yep. There's also a lot of co-packers who are going to kind of dictate the type of product you're making because they might use a base or be using powdered products to reconstitute to make your product. And that wasn't a route that we were interested in going. So it took us a long time to find it. You can, if you're looking at... um, If you're making a product and you look at competitors' products, there is a little code at the bottom of a package that actually lists the facility that the product was manufactured in. I can't remember what it's called, but you can look it up online. I would recommend that's a better Google search. Um, Figure out what the name of that little code is, and then you can actually ID those different manufacturing facilities in that way and then try to... That's a fantastic tip. (laughs) So you could find a local product... Yep. And start or to not even. I mean, it depends. Yeah. yeah. Start local. And then if you're finding that it's hard to nail down a different idea. Because we're very close to Chicago and a lot yep. of um, food is manufactured there, too. Yep. Yep. I and mean, it's Iowa, a really hub. Yeah. I mean, we're in a food manufacturing hub in the country. So you should be able to find something similar to what you're making. But when you're looking for a co-packer fit, there's so many things to consider. I mean, Are you looking to expand your product line? Can they make all the different products that you're planning on making? For us, we used to have a delicious vegan mushroom broth, and our co-packer doesn't work with vegetarian ingredients. So we had to eliminate that product from our product line as we launched with the new shelf-stable bone broth. Mm -hmm. Um, You need to know if they're going to take a minimum order size that's going to match your company. If you're small, like Taking Stock Foods, it's going to be challenging to find somebody who's willing to make a a product run as small as yours but then you also want them to have a ceiling that if you are expanding you're going to be able to go so you get the co-packer decision handled Mm -hmm. which i know took a very long time yep and at this point you are not in stores because you've stopped doing the frozen product while you're retooling yep I am very curious about how you go back into those retail locations or back into those relationships when you hadn't been able to service them for a while. Yeah. And so we um, had an existing relationship with a a distributor, a wholesale distributor called Co-op Partners Warehouse. They're branched out from the wedge, a really great local company that works with small food manufacturers and also... um, uh, works, I think, more so with the local co-op network here right. in the Twin mm-hmm. Cities and also like basically the greater Midwest. Um, and so we hit them up about six months before our product was going to launch, tried to get in their ears again, kind of got a new idea of like, how are we going to be developing our sales cycle? What can we do that's going to make this product compelling? Because 
we're now in the shelf stable grocery section, which is different from the frozen section. So even super though super competitive, super competitive, and also out. like new buyers, like we're we're basically developing new relationships. So you kind of want to get get in touch with the people that you were working with before if you have established a positive um, reputation. Uh, if you're working with a new buyer for a retail location, say a random co-op that we would be working with, we're like, oh, we used to work in this department. Can you direct us and give us an introduction to the person in the new department that we're going to be trying to shelve our product in? Um, and just be as friendly as possible. I mean, buyers are very busy people and they want you to make their life easy. If they get any inclination that you're going to be a pain in the butt, they're probably going to be like, you have an excellent product, but you need to make this, you need to do your side of things too and make this worth my while. How like, do you cold call these people? I know you get the introduction yep. and then like literally what do you say? Hi, I'm Molly from Taking Stock Foods. I have this product. Can I get, do you sample them? Yep. Like how do you get into the store? Yeah. You usually try to find whoever your contact is going to be. Um, and then I would always be like, okay, so when can I come in and drop some product off? I'd love to meet you in person. Create a friendly reputation for your company straight away by giving them a nice face and name to who you are. And also be like, I'm a local woman-owned business. Here I am, woman, local. I just drove over. It took me five minutes. That means a lot, especially for that specific market. It would be different if you were working with a larger grocer. Yeah, like Whole Foods. Like or, a Whole sure, Foods. They um, don't see anybody well, actually, we're going to be working with them, too. So the local Whole Foods Network, I think that our product should be picked up by them sometime by the summer. So There's just the Minnesota inter- ones. And maybe you can speak to this. So Whole Foods got bought by Amazon. Mm-hmm. And in the very beginning, they just sort of wiped out whatever local SKUs they had, save a handful. Mm. They really pared down. Then they started seeing that people, customers were asking because originally Whole Foods Twin Cities actually did carry quite a bit of local product. Yeah. So they cleared the decks and it was about a year's worth of time of people not being in the stores. And then they got some new people involved again that were like, oh no, we need some of these local products. This is part of what differentiates us. So they're starting to bring them back in again is what I've heard. Yeah, they have a they have a rigorous um, vetting process. Sort of the co-ops that people yeah, don't do. know. Like uh, there's a local product that I interviewed and they make a product and they had to change up their ingredient profile. Mm-hmm. And one of the ingredients that they put in there that's a preservative forced them out of all the co-ops. And uh, a lot of the time, whether it be health inspectors or rigorous vetting processes, we like to think at Taking Stock Foods that those are opportunities for us to better ourselves. They can be frustrating hurdles at the time. And ideally, you're getting that feedback from co-ops before you have your finalized product. I mean, really in the ideation stage, if you are if you want your product to be placed on a co-op shelf, be like, this is what we're looking at. Try to develop those relationships early on. Um, there are what, like 50 co-ops in yeah, the metro. So you'll be able to find somebody who's willing to give you the time of day and just be like, can you look over my ingredient list? Because once you have That's the product advice. in a package on a nutrition panel, you're kind of, you need to yeah. go through that whole process again. But if the co-ops or Whole Foods is telling you, like these are the ingredients that we've decided 
that's not arbitrary. That's coming from somewhere. And I really recommend using those resources to help develop your, if you want to be on Whole Foods shelf, you should develop your product to be a Whole Foods product. And they actually have, Whole Foods specifically has a list of ingredients that are um, allowed or not allowed. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that too. Yeah. If you reach out to their local forager program, they'll send you a packet of all that different information. Doesn't it seem weird that it's just like that the grocery stores are the ones who are determining what are the non-conforming chemicals that they want in the food that they sell? Like, you'd think that would be like a public health situation. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's funny that they're the gatekeepers. Yeah, well... They are developing their own brand, right? And brick and mortar grocery right now is really crunched because so many people are looking for online shopping opportunities yep. and aren't, I don't know. I mean, how do you compete if you're a brick and mortar grocery? And a lot of the time they're like, we have these curated experiences. We have local demo people coming in and showcasing products. Which I personally love. Like, it's I great. Have, I have shopped online like for food maybe a handful of times. Yeah. I just love going to the grocery store. It's, it's a different thing. And I've been doing demos for my company. Um, one of the things that I've noticed is I'm a millennial myself. I'm 34, uh, an old millennial, (laughs) (laughs) but I have noticed that a lot of younger people, people my age walking in the store are like eyes to the ground. They don't want to have anything to do with me. And people in their 40s, 50s, 60s, they're coming to the grocery store for that holistic experience. They're like, I don't care about bone broth, but I want to chat your ear off. And I'm like, okay, let's hang out. I want to know what you're all about. Why don't you like bone broth? Um, My sister and I just hung out for the first time in a while and she lives in Brooklyn, New York, and she was talking about online shopping and how frustrating it can be because you're not handpicking the especially fresh um, vegetables and fruits like there are drawbacks to the convenience of online shopping. But back to your question about the whole gatekeeper idea of grocers. I think it's good because they have their finger to the pulse of what consumers are interested in, especially, I mean, we've got the co-ops, we have Lens and Byerly's, we have Kowalski's, um, who else do we have that's a local grocer here? Quite a few. We have a, a pretty like rich Oxendale network. Markets, yeah, Oxendale. Um, Jerry's. Mm-hmm. So they, they not only know what's going on trending in grocery overall, but they're specifically tuned into upper Midwest shoppers. And in these cases, urban upper Midwestern shoppers. So they're going to be able to do something unique for any shopper locally. I was just in Kowalski's yesterday and I was doing some Valentine's Day shopping because it's happening later on this week. And I really wanted to do something special for me and my partner. And they have so many cool bespoke ingredients and if you narrow that down and you're like i want it to be a local special ingredient they have plenty of that too and there's lots of people willing to help you out they carry lots of local foods we are very lucky Mm -hmm. to have the kowalskis and the lens and byerly's families in our town for sure they feed off each other i think they make each other better and they just have really championed a lot of local makers. And I actually used to work for Whole Foods when I first moved here in 2007, just briefly, um, uh, for about a year in the customer service area. And I remember people being like, our main, I was at Lake Calhoun Whole Foods, and they um, 
where like London Byerly's is really, I think it was just Lund at the time or maybe just Byerly's. Uh, they were their main competition. So going back to that question of Whole Foods not carrying local products as much anymore, if that still remains the case, that they're looking at to London Byerly's and Kowalski's and like, what are they doing that we're not? Those two local stores are really championing championing local products. Yeah. And Whole and Foods is probably exactly paying attention what, to that. I think that's exactly what happened. I think, you know, in a corporate office somewhere, someone made this decision to simplify things, which sounds good on paper until, you know, your person comes and they've been buying this local salad dressing all this time. Right. And all of a sudden it's not in the store. And like um, another national brand has expanded and taken up all that shelf space. And they're like, meh, I didn't really want to buy that national brand. I wanted to support this person. I like this person. And going really big picture, I mean, consumer choices are what are driving all of these things. So at the end of the day, maybe like for me, I don't really shop online on Amazon. That's a choice that I make, but I'm willing to shop at local Whole Foods because I see people on the ground. I know a lot of people who work at that company and have really positive experiences there. And I can choose to put my dollar there and say that I'm interested in products like taking stock bone broths and they're going to hear that. I think, too, we forget that Target is a local company for us. It's huge. So if we want to shop online, we can shop online at Target. Yep. And we're still supporting our local economy. Yep, yep. So we're lucky in that way that we could have that convenience. I think, too, it's important for the consumer to understand how much power they wield. Exactly. If you say to your meat man or your you know produce manager, I want to see this product. Nobody ever tells them that stuff. So that sticks with them. And then the next time that person calls yep. and wants to get that product into the store, they remember that. And to, to add to that, if you're going to be demanding local products, you need to buy them. So often I hear people like, I really wish this booze was at my local liquor store. And they pick up six units and then they go nowhere. Right. And it's like, you you need to have a back and forth conversation. If you're going to like yell at your local store that they're not carrying something, give them the opportunity to put it on the shelf. Leave your name, leave your contact information so that they can tell you when it shows up and so that you can it. buy it there. Yeah. That's really important. Absolutely. Uh, it's really good to talk to you. It's good to catch up. Where can we find your bone broth and what's next for you guys? Are you continuing to just expand and do demos so we can meet you in our local stores? Yeah. So we're at local co-ops right now. Um, Lakewind, Seward, Wedge, Eastside, uh, the whole gamut, really. Um, we're going to be starting our online shop very soon. And maybe I'll connect with you when that does happen. Do. And you can send out a promo code or something for be online people. Um, and then, like I said, I think we'll be picked up by Whole Foods definitely by July. Just Whole Foods in the Twin Cities area. Great. So Super fun to catch up with you. You too, Stephanie. I'm excited about the new packaging. It is Taking Stock Foods. Look for it. Ask for it your purveyors and drink bone broth you guys it's just feels so good to have a cup of just warm proteiny collagen-y goodness for your Delicious. skin your health and yourself it tastes good thanks molly <laughs> bye